Hello, you're listening to season two of Everyday Creative People. I'm your host, Dina Adrians, and this podcast is all about the question, what does it mean to live a life driven by curiosity, creativity, and love over fear? Each week, you can tune in to hear me discussing various topics related to this question with leaders, artists, and entrepreneurs who are each living out this pursuit in their own unique ways. When you finish listening to today's show, please take a moment to subscribe to future episodes and rate the podcast, leave a comment, and tell a friend. You can find all the show notes over at dinaadrians.com slash ecppodcast. Now settle in, get comfy, and enjoy the show. Welcome to another episode of Everyday Creative People. I'm here today with my guest, Rosita Choi. Rosita has spent her career over two and a half decades dedicated to social justice nonprofit work with an emphasis on immigrant rights, racial equity, and anti-poverty. She has been on staff for organizations such as the Massachusetts Immigrant and Refugee Advocacy Coalition, American Friends Service Committee, and Amnesty International, and she's now an independent consultant and coach helping to promote healthy and sustainable organizations and work cultures. She specializes in burnout prevention and recovery, uh, and Rosita is also a public storyteller, a public storyteller, what does that mean, Rosita, uh, who performs on stage as Una China Latina spinning tales about growing up immigrant and Chinese in Chicano, LA. All right. So welcome to the show, Rosita. Thanks for having me, Dina. Can you tell me what does it mean that you are a public storyteller? Wow, that was a good question. Um, <laughs> I kind of made that up to say public storyteller. And I think I made that up because um, I think we're all storytellers. Um, we might not all be public storytellers. And what I mean by that is that I'm always telling stories. I tell stories whenever I have someone over for dinner. I tell stories when I bump into my neighbor. And so when I say public, that's just a term mm. I use to say that I stand in front of an audience with people I might not know. Well, mostly people I know and tell stories. So that's what I mean by public in a public space. Okay, that makes sense. I see what you're saying. Storytelling is a natural part of being human. And so this is your way of differentiating the storytelling that we do every day with storytelling that happens uh, in a more formal setting, I guess. Yes, even though I think it's all a spectrum and a continuum. Yes. Cool. So you, um, <laughs> so obviously this podcast is called Everyday Creative People. And I think when I invited you to come onto this podcast, you had some questions about like, why are you asking me to do this? Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. Um, and I, I just want to say thank you for asking me repeatedly, Dina, because <laughs> I mean, I was honored that you asked me, but I was thinking creative. I'm not a creative person. Dina works with artists and actors. Um, and so there was a while that I, I just, you know, didn't answer your emails or said, oh, okay, okay. Um, and I did a lot of thinking about it. And, um, you know, I listened to your other podcasts uh, and... Uh, I started to realize why you were asking me. Um, I guess I should say you had wisdom and you saw me for who I was. Um, 
I said that with a little bit of sarcasm because I'm still trying to come to terms with the idea that I'm artistic or I'm creative. Mm. And the reason why is um, I've always done things that I thought were necessary in the world. For example, it's necessary to get a job and get paid to do your job and then pay your bills and, you know, pay your food and your rent. And for me, it was necessary to work on social justice issues. Um, it just seemed like these were things out in the world that were really impinging on people's lives. And I really wanted to dedicate myself to like how to fix these things in the world that were structural and, um, and oppressive. And so social justice work for me was something I needed to do. And, um, I never thought of myself as being creative, but at a certain point, I needed to tell stories out loud on stage. Um, and part of that was because some of the social justice work I was doing, I felt people needed to change something more than their, their logic about things. Like, you know, racism is illogical, but, but we're not going to, I felt like we had to get beyond that that you can rationalize it. And also, um, emotionally, some people just feel different things along those lines. And so my storytelling was a way for me to put something out there that was rational in thought, but also had emotion and could move the spirit. And that's where I hit on it, that being artistic means you touch people's spirit. Um, and so I started to come to terms that like, oh, maybe I am creative and maybe <laughs> I am artistic because I want to move and touch people's spirit. Mm, I love that. So, okay. Can you talk to me a little bit about um, sort of your journey as a storyteller? You said that at some point you had to tell your stories. What prompted that? <sighs> That's a really good question, Dina. Um, I think as I alluded to before, I've always been a storyteller. I love telling anecdotes and making people laugh and surprising people about things. Um, but I think at this, a certain point, I felt like I needed to tell these stories because in the nonprofit work that I was doing, the social justice work I was doing, it was so draining and the um, quote-unquote victories or wins were so in the future and so seemed illusory that I often felt drained going to my job and constantly advocating and fighting for rights and saying, this is not right. Um, and yet I knew that the work was necessary, but I couldn't find a way to re-energize myself or rest or, or just feel up for the next day. Um, and I took some time off of work, more than once. And I started, hmm, let me back up just a little bit. Um, my name is Rosita Choi. And um, when people see me, they can tell right away that I'm Asian. Um, and they often think that my first name is um, because I'm Filipina. But my story is that my um, my family is Chinese. I am of Chinese descent, but I was born in Costa Rica, and I grew up in Los Angeles in uh, Northeast LA, a very Chicano neighborhood. And without going into all the history of my uh, family's migration, 
uh, that always confused people. How did she get a name like Rosita Choi? And so I would, I've always been used to explaining or, or constructing a narrative about who I was and my identity. And this was just something I did naturally. I did it over, you know, uh, again, I said over dinner or coffees. And I understood that people found it interesting and not, you know, sometimes it becomes exoticizing, like, where are you from? How'd you get that name? But, but a lot of times for me, the interaction was more about human interest rather than about, you know, exoticizing or essentializing someone. So because I'd done that all my life and because it, it, it was fun for me to tell people sto- my story to people. Um, and also I just wanted to say that I, when I tell my story to people, they tell their story to me. And it's always fun for me to hear people's stories. Um, so what I'm saying is that I, since I did that so much for like my out of work when I was not serious point, uh, points in my life, I thought if work is so stressful and it so doesn't give me energy, why don't I com- find a way to combine the two so that what I do for work I don't know, because I haven't figured out how to make storytelling work yet or work that provides revenue for me. But it's just something I had to do because it it rejuvenated me. And I found that my story was the immigration story, was the story of like how people come to the U.S. And um, I'm not going to say have an American dream and fulfill it, but come to the U.S. and and face a lot of structural um, oppression and um, how do we look at those barriers and how do we deconstruct them? And so my story, I felt like my personal story helped with my advocacy um, and it helped me to rejuvenate myself. Hmm. So, I mean, you and I, so you and I met through our coaching training and it's interesting that you talk about um, people sharing their stories with you because I think, and 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 that you're talking about sort of this like how do I bring storytelling together with my career? Um, because I think in some ways, coaching is about storytelling. Like it's it's drawing out a person's story and in some ways, almost helping them to recraft their story. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that, on the, the interplay of storytelling and coaching? Absolutely, Dina. I mean, I'm just trying to think about it. I mean, you just said it so perfectly. Um, storytelling and coaching are completely interlinked. Um, I think storytelling and living are completely interlinked. Hmm. Storytelling is our way of making sense of our life, creating a narrative of being able to reflect on what we've done and what we will do and what it means to be a human being. Which is also all what coaching is all about. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Definitely. I don't know. I'm just, I don't know. um, I'm just letting these words sink in because... Yeah, we're both coaches and we've had a lot of conversations about coaching, but every time we come to the essence of coaching and, well, I come to the essence of storytelling and, and I know that you have an interest in that. It just seems so essential. And I'm just letting the two 
things kind of come together in my mind and just hold it. So earlier you were talking about sort of your process of coming to recognize yourself as a creative person and that that's still something that you're sort of figuring out. Uh, And you talked about uh, art being anything that moves the spirit. What does that look like to you to do work that moves the spirit? Yeah. Um, So I have a lot of uh, art historians and artists around me because my partner is an architectural historian. Um, And I never thought I would be surrounded by so much capital A art um, or the ideas of art. I don't have anything hanging in my house that's of value, um, uh, monetary value. Um, And growing up, um, I said a little bit about my parents being immigrants and myself, I came when I was one year old. we didn't have that much money. And my parents worked uh, in a small corner grocery store. And my mom later on became a seamstress. And we had this ambivalent um, idea of art. You know, it was kind of respected from afar, like, okay, there's Picasso. And, um, you know, we might not understand art, but it's, you know, important. Humans say it's important. Let's go to the museum every once in a while and look at paintings. Um, but there was something in me that sounded, made me feel like, oh, art is a rich person's thing. Or art is something that's a luxury. Or art is something for someone who's, um, how should I say? Someone who wants to do something fun and frivolous. There we go. You know, and, and it's not serious about life. Um, I started to change when I was doing advocacy work and I saw so many, you know, political artists, street artists, all, you know, just, I, I, then I intellectually understood, yes, art could be something political and useful in the world and world changing. Um, but I think I still had to come to another level about, um, just these concrete definitions of art, you know, like, if I'm not painting something that the art world is going to buy and put in a museum, I'm not an artist. If I'm not, um, you know, creating this mural where lots of people come together and say, yeah, you know, raise up their fists, then I'm not an artist. Um, and to let go of that idea that art is frivolous, it just, I, I just really had to do a lot of work on that. Um, and to understand that art is something that touches you. And I keep saying something beyond rational thought and something beyond emotion because those are two things I feel like we understand in the world. Like I've, in terms of rational thought, I, you know, studied really hard in school, did really well, blah, blah, blah. Um, and in terms of emotion, I've spent a lot of year, these past de- decades in therapy, coming to terms with my emotions and things like that. And now I feel like I'm on the stage of understanding that there's something else beyond uh, emotion and rational thought. And I think it parallels my idea of, of what art means. And it can, it can encompass those things that I said before about, you know, being highly valued by society or, um, bringing new different ideas to society, but it can just also be something that moves you, 
beyond rational thought and beyond anger or sadness or happiness, but it just moves you in some other way. Um, and because that I'm starting to define art with that lowercase a, art is different for everybody. It's a different thing for everyone. Um, so I think a chef can be an artist because of the way they handle food and put it together. Um, you know, I think, uh, chef, you know, I mean, we think of visual arts and dancers and musicians, but they're all other mediums that we might not think about. And that's where I was coming to the idea too, that even when I'm not storytelling and I'm facilitating meetings or coaching, that's an art form. Um, and it's hard to describe. It's not like I have a canvas and paint, but I have people and space. And so I'm holding space for people to evolve and have their spirits moved. I don't know. I've been using the word spirit a lot in this interview, probably more than I've ever done in my life. I love that. All of that. <laughs> um, what is, when you use this word spirit, what does that mean to you? Wow, Dina, I shouldn't know. As a coach, you're not going to let me get away with just <laughs> saying words and leaving it there. Um, for me, it's part of where I am now. And I can't believe I'm going to use the word journey because <laughs> it's so <laughs> overused, right? But but I'm at a point where I can laugh at some cliches and things that seem to be, um, you know, just a passage in time. And it's okay to be a demographic, I guess I'm trying to say for myself. Um, so the word spirit is where I am on my journey, because as I said, I thought I was very intellectually rigorous when I was, you know, in college and in high school. And, and then I felt like I was emotionally, emotionally developing and politically developing in my, you know, early 20s and 30s. And now in my, eh, I guess I could say my age. Now that I'm in my mid 40s, <laughs> um, I really feel like the spirit is what I need to understand. Um, even the word understand is not quite right because we go back to rational thought. But mm. what I mean by spirit is um, I'm not sure. Um, I mean, some people define it as their soul. Some people define it as something connected to God or a God or um, some supreme being. Some people connect it with the energy that's all over the world. Um, I mean, all over like the cosmos, meaning in, in rocks and trees and people and air and water. Um, I'm not sure. I'm exploring all of that, you know, yeah. and maybe there's something that's neither of those. Um, mm. All I know is that something happens in coaching, in facilitating in listening to stories, in watching movies, in listening to music, where people are moved. And it's not just an emotion where they're, when they're moved. And it's definitely not ideas. I mean, it could lead to ideas later on, but there's something that's moved in people. Um, and that's what I'm trying to describe as spirit. And for me, I'm continually trying to answer that question that you just asked, Dina. Like, what do you mean by spirit? Mm -hmm. um, and I, I also wanted to include, you know, some people believe in um, psychic ability, you know, and that could be their spirit or their understanding of spirit. 
Um, I just want, I'm just curious about them all right now. Yeah. Okay, so I want to go back uh, to you were talking earlier a little bit about your experience with burnout. And I think this is something that you and I have talked a fair amount about um, that we've both experienced. And I think it's also something that's really driven um, a lot of your sort of personal reflection in terms of where you're at now and what you're doing with your coaching and all of that. Um, So can you just share a little bit more about, you know, what, what was that sort of process of burnout? Like, what were the things that contributed to ultimately having burnout? And like, what are you learning in this journey of recovering from that? Oh, my goodness, Dina, such questions that go to the heart of things. Have you ever thought about being a coach? (laughs) 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 Or or a a podcast interviewer? No, but seriously, thank you, Dina. Thank you. Uh, just so folks know, we did not script this. <laughs> um, where should I where should I begin? Um, absolutely, uh, burnout is something that has <laughs> has uh, directed me in life. And what I mean by that is, and and let me let me describe what I mean by burnout. For me, burnout is. Um, it's not just being tired, you know, after like, uh, after a whole day where it's just a really busy day and you might've been running around or you might've even run a mile, you know, I'm just trying to think of all the things that people might do to make them so exhausted. Um, you feel really drained and what you can do is eat something and you sleep and then you're like, whoa, I feel refreshed. There were moments in my life where no matter how much sleep I got, no matter how well I ate, no matter what I did, I just felt tired, tired, um, like deep down inside tired. Um, even if I wasn't working, I could take a week off and just sit on my couch and I would still feel tired. So that's what I describe for me on a visceral level, what burnout is, um, and for me personally, burnout led to crying every day, which I was not a crier. Um, I'm not saying it with pride or, or embarrassment, but I just, I didn't, I wasn't used to crying. And so crying every day was another sign of burnout for me, especially because there wasn't anything particularly unhappy that I was crying about. Sure, you know, there's a world and depressing things about the world, but you know, on a day-to-day basis, there wasn't anything particularly unhappy. And yet I felt tired and was crying. Um, and so that's a definition of burnout for myself. And I think it has different manifestations for different people. And it's taken me a while to understand why I got to these points. Um, there was a while that I thought I wasn't tough enough. Um, you know, all these other people are working so hard and I work, yeah, I worked hard, but like they bounced back and why didn't I, um, there were times where I thought I was too sensitive. You know, all these people, again, they're, we're working on immigrant rights work and whenever a bill passed, it was horrid or, or we do a demonstration or march and there are anti-immigrant people or people said horrible things about immigrants. And, you know, people would be like, yeah, that's part of the work. And it galvanizes us and we just keep going. And I just, 
it just felt like every one of these were like daggers into my heart. And that's where I thought, oh, okay, I'm not tough enough. I'm too sensitive. Um, like all these reasons to say why I was feeling so bad. Um, but now it's taken decades, Dina, really decades. And I don't think I'm out of it yet. It's a con- continuous questioning. But I feel like where I am now is understanding that um, for whatever group of reasons, my soul wasn't being refueled. My spirit wasn't being touched. Um, and I had to make adjustments. And um, I was able to, it took me a long time, even during the time you've known me, Dina, which has only been like maybe two years, I think you hear the difference in the value judgment that I, I've lifted from myself and others. You know, just because others can do it doesn't mean they're better and I'm worse. Just because I can't do it doesn't mean I see something that they, they don't. It's just like what touches your soul or what you need. And what I needed was not completely found in the type of work I was doing or the work environment. Um, it doesn't mean it's not possible, but it just wasn't there for me. And so what I'm talking about is a nonprofit community or, you know, groups have called it the nonprofit 501c industrial complex, you know, and there's truth to that. Um, and I'm just at this point now where I believe that there are ways to make the system better. And there probably are ways that we can't, and it's endemic to the way it's set up. But whatever these are, I want to contribute some way for us to examine them and make it better. So in other words, I'm open to, to, um, now this is where it becomes a very, uh, philosophical question, right? I'm open to things, ways of, of bettering that nonprofit community and, and, and structure, but I'm also open to the idea of there's some structure you just have to throw away. Um, this is probably not beholding me to funders if I say, I think that not 501c3 system needs to be thrown out. Um, maybe like in a hundred years, I'm not sure. But anyway, what I'm saying is that this is what burnout has done for me to understand that life in the world, like needs to have more space for people with different needs and abilities and wants. And so for me, it's now a continuous theme of making, you know, the world more open so that more people can thrive. Um, be it in the nonprofit sector or be it in the bigger world. Um, and now I'm kind of losing myself because <laughs> I'm just babbling. But I think the original question was how did, how did, um, burnout kind of direct me in my journey and I think it's a journey of understanding you know ability and how the world allows you to manifest your your abilities and understanding that the way it's set up might tire you out and it's not about you being weak or sensitive which is what I accuse myself of but it's about finding a different way and opening the world up for, for people with different abilities or interests to thrive.
I guess that's my, that's my burnout has taught me that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You're, you're, yes, (laughs) all the things. (laughs) Um, So you're now, you've created a workshop um, to sort of support people, like, apart from your coaching work with individuals, you've created a workshop to sort of support people around this topic, right? Yes, yes, sorry, yes. I'm just listening <laughs> to your words. <laughs> <laughs> um, so can you can you talk a little bit about this workshop that you're doing? Yes, thank you. No, no, no. And I'm also thinking that, oh, um, you know, I, I want to thank you for having this um, podcast and it's forcing me to say things out loud in public, right? Mm. You know, back to the first original question you asked, why do you call yourself a public storyteller? <laughs> and, and public and, and I'm, you know, a little nervous. Like I said, like, <gasps> I'm still trying to make a living working with nonprofit people. And what if funders hear me say, let's overthrow the nonprofit <laughs> C3 complex. And yet I'm trying to, you know, earn my, my, um, what do I want to say bird seeds from it. I'm mixing all my metaphors right now. <laughs> so, so that's why I'm like, oh. but um, yes. So this workshop is trying to thread that needle, I guess. That's why I hesitated a little bit. Yes. This workshop is trying to say there must be another way. There must be a way yeah. to make it sustainable for people. Um, and there must be a way for me to be able to have people have these conversations without it being threatening to funders or nonprofit people or executive directors or managers, you know? And so my workshop is called Enduring Idealism. And its tagline is a workshop for surviving nonprofits. I think the words speak for themselves right there, but. <laughs> Uh, maybe I could talk a little bit about the the structure I have for it. Um, it's basically bringing people together who say who have this feeling like I did. Like, there's something not quite right here. I really believe in the work we do. I really believe in the mission of our organization. Um, I think I'm surrounded by good people. I mean, sometimes people are like, no, that person's not a good p- person. But deep down inside, I think we're surrounded by good people. And then why why is it so hard? Why are there these dysfunctions? It's hard on the outside when we're advocating things, but oftentimes it's hard with our colleagues, with our coworkers. Like, why? Um, so uh, I set up this workshop for people to come together to talk about that. And it starts out with what I call speed venting, where hmm. um, we, we have people paired up and they have limited amount of time to tell each other what's bothering them at work. And then they switch to another partner and they say it again and they switch and they say it again with shorter and shorter time periods so they can really crystallize uh, like in a crucible to see what's bothering them. And um, one person had commented at the first workshop, it was a little scary at first, but then it became fun. So um, I think there's this idea, you know, that we do in coaching and is to not to turn away from quote unquote bad feelings or conflict or bad things that happen, but to really figure out what's in it. And um, when she said it was scary and then it was fun, to me, that encapsulated the whole idea that we can talk about these things and we don't need to blame people or point mm-hmm. fingers, but we can find a way that there's, if there's something wrong here, let's get together and figure out how to make it 
better. And I use my coaching skills coupled with facilitation that I did before I became a coach to create a space and hold it for people to be able to exchange ideas and emotions. Um, and I definitely am not standing there to say, I have all the solutions for you because I do not. But mm -hmm. it's standing there to say, if we all feel this way, and we're all dedicated, highly intelligent, thoughtful people, if we're all feeling this way, we should be able to do something about it by coming together. Um, and so that's what happened on January, uh, end of January, I think it was 29, um, where 50 people came and were so hungry for that conversation. And because wow. that went so well, I was like, hey, I actually asked the audience, should I do this again? And they're like, yeah, <laughs> we know people who would want to do it. And so I planned another one um, for April 9th to Tuesday in D.C. And um, I hope to do it in other cities and other places so that we can get together and find some relief um, yeah. in the nonprofit world. I think it's such an important conversation. <laughs> Like, I just thinking of my own experience and all the people that I know who have worked in nonprofits, like, this is such a big problem. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's so interesting to me. Uh, you, you, when we started this podcast, you talked about how you sort of struggled to see yourself as a creative person, as an artist. And I think part of that, like, part of your journey of like going from, okay, big A art to little A art, right? Um, big C creativity to little C creativity. I think this is something that you are not alone in struggling to make that connection. Um, and, uh, we often overlook the ways in which we are creative in all different facets of our lives. And I think that's so much of what this podcast is about. And it, what I see when I see you coming up with this workshop and creating this space is you are using your creative skills, one, to say, okay, here's a problem. Now, how can I create some sort of solution to it um, of like creating this space? And then you're actually creating a space in which people can come and exercise their creative skills in finding more solutions to to more problems and like that's part of I mean I know I had initially asked you to be on this podcast a year ago um but then when I saw you were doing this workshop I was like Rosita I need you to come and talk about this <laughs> because it is it's so much of like connecting those dots um and seeing creativity in in different ways Absolutely, Dina. And that's what I was trying to um, hint at before. Like, you were the genius to see it in me. <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm kind of joking and serious at the same time. Because I didn't understand. I'm like, why does Dina want me on the show? I'm not creative. You know, I'm just a mm -hmm. nonprofit uh, cog in the wheel. But um, you, you've, you know, being in conversation with you, um, listening to the other podcast people you had on, it really made me understood, yeah, that maybe my medium is about space. And you're right that like, maybe my medium is about space and energy and creativity. Like it's kind of meta. 
It's like being creative <laughs> about being creative. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, I'm like, eh, what does it matter what we call it? Um, I feel like you're, you, Dina Adrians, are trying to make a difference in the world um, and like searching like me. And um, whether it's about creativity, about artistry, about problem solving, it's just like, how do we make the world a better place? Yeah. Um, yeah. And ultimately, I think all these things are connected. A better place world, art, coaching, facilitating, social justice. Um, so thank you for saying those things, Dina. Um, and my coaching has taught me not to brush away those things that you're saying to me, <laughs> but to say like... I feel like Dina's seeing me and hearing me and I should just step into what I feel and step into what I'm hearing Dina reflect in what she's saying about me. Well, I'm glad that you can take that in. So what's next for you? You've got this cool workshop, you're coaching, you're facilitating, you're even still doing some storytelling, I think, from time to time. What's next for you? Wow. As if I've, I'm done with where I am now. I'm going somewhere else. No, <laughs> no I mean like in this continuous process. Yes. <laughs> What's Thank coming you. up in the near future? Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, no, and I'm also joking because, um, you know, Dina, as coaches, we have the privilege of receiving coaching from other people, right? Yeah. Um, and so... One of my various coaches, it's like all you can coach coaching or all you can receive <laughs> coaching, right? Um, and, and talking to me about this path that you've been exploring with me, my path, um, the coach said a couple of weeks ago, I feel like, Rosita, you've arrived. Here you are. Now you just have to step into who you are and, and, and go. And mm. so I laughed. I was like, really? I've arrived? <laughs> <laughs> And I laughed because I was like, uh, I don't have a steady income. I wouldn't be able to live on my own right now. And, and I do have to just say that. Um, I mean, it's not a commercial, but I really need to thank my partner because, um, I wouldn't be able to try these things or break off as a consultant without her financial support and emotional mm -hmm. support and everything else. And I say that because, I think it's really, I know it's really difficult for people to follow a creative route or an entrepreneurial route. And I just want to be real that like, I have a partner who's supporting me. And so I'm able to do this. Yeah. And, um, it's hard. And so when you ask me what's next, um, I just want to do this for a while. Um, like the workshop, I'm only, I only have my second one coming up right now. It wasn't lucrative. <laughs> I mean, I kept the ticket prices low so people could come, but. You know, I cannot live on workshops like this, or maybe yeah. I can. I don't know. And that's where I want to be open. So when you said you have coaching, you have facilitating, you have storytelling, um, basically, I'd like to do this because I feel compelled to. And at some point, I hope these things can bring in an income. Um, it's not at the moment like a livable income. Um, yeah. But um, I was just talking to someone before our call right now who said, we need to believe that we can do things that we love and that we believe will help the world and still be able to survive in the world. Um, and that's what's next for me is just to hold on to this belief. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that because I, I think um, 
it's so, especially right now, there's like so much out there about like start your own business, be an entrepreneur, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's like, it's this like very in vogue thing on the internet right now. And like, the reality is it is hard and it takes time. And those of us who go down that path cannot do it without having supportive people in our lives who are like really willing to walk that path with us. And whether it be financial support or emotional support or all of the above, that is a really necessary part of this journey. And it's a journey that it takes time and it takes figuring out. And I think like what you mentioned, um, your coach saying, you know, you've arrived. And I think when I hear that, what I hear is, okay, you've really gotten clear on your mission and some different ways of playing out that mission. And now all you have to do is kind of like take that and run with it and make it happen. Um, Whereas like, you know, I think you and I both have, have gone through long periods of like, how do all these pieces fit together? (laughs) And like, where exactly is my focus? And so that's what I'm hearing in that. Absolutely. And thank you, Dina, for saying that's what you heard in my coach, because I was thinking, what does she mean I arrived? Because, (laughs) (laughs) because there was a time where I was making a lot more money than I am now. And you know, I don't mean to bring up money all the time. But you know, we live in this world. It's real. Yeah, it's real. So I was like, what is she talking about? I had, you know, money, I had quote, unquote, status, you know, I was a deputy director. And now I don't have money. And I don't (laughs) have a a title and an organization or anything like I'm not a deputy director. But um, I think you're right. It's about being uh, clear about your own mission and figuring out what to do with it. At the same time, Dina, I'm glad you brought this up because I also wanted to point out that that I don't, I hope people don't construe it to say like, you know, any of the obstacles you have in life, the quote unquote non-successes you have, it's because of your attitude or, you mm. know, like you just need to think the right thoughts and you'll be there at, I don't 100% believe in that either. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think it's a combination. Um, and let me just say this, like where I am now, which is I feel very happy and fulfilled, but, you know, financially it's not the best. You know, like this combination I could only do now. I wanted to do this 10 years ago. I It was another mm. round of burnout where I was like, that's it. I don't want to <laughs> do this anymore. And my partner was in grad school and she said – what do you mean that's it? I was like, I don't want to do this. I want to go do basically what I'm doing right now, which is try, try to figure <laughs> out a way to hold space and be creative and, and be a consultant and facilitate. Anyway, she, she was like, uh, you can't quit because you're the only source of income for us <laughs> and you, you and benefits, uh, health insurance. We both need it. And so that was 10 years ago, probably even more than 10 years ago. And I was like, what? You won't let me follow my dreams? I didn't say that exactly. <laughs> but uh, but I, 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 I was like, what? And then I, I went to my therapist and I said, 
you know, Jennifer won't let me quit. And we talked about it. And my therapist asked me how much money I was making and da, 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 and how much we had savings. And then she said, Jennifer's right. You can't quit, you know? And <laughs> so what I mean to say is that at that moment in time, I made the, the decision I felt like I had to make, which was to stay in my job, which was to, I don't know. I, I don't want to say to be unhappy, but like we choose the best path for us at that moment. And yeah. it's a combination of how we feel, what we're thinking and the situation around us. So I just, I hope listeners don't just think we're saying, oh, you just think about it for a while and then you hit this great idea and then you go. No, I mean, there's so many factors. Um, yeah. But hitting that, like feeling good for yourself and your values and lining that up, that's part of the process. Um, it's, what's that sufficient, but ne not necessary. Well, I don't know that phrase that says, um, yeah, you it's, know. um, it's necessary, but not sufficient. Thank you. <laughs> um, so yeah, I just want to make sure about that, Dina. So that, you know, that yeah. we're not moralizing or saying we got here and it's just, you know, it's just the idea, like what do people want in life and what fulfills them? And yeah. um, it's all a mixture, right? And a mixture of our own perceptions and a mixture of what what goes on in the world. And we just try our best to, to align them, right? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. That's, I think those are such important things to keep in mind. And like, it's really, it's a journey and each individual person has their own circumstances and it's, it's really, yeah, it's finding that balance between like, okay, what is, what is my dream? Like, what is the life that I really want to be living and how can I come as close as possible to that within my existing constraints? Yup. Yup. <laughs> <laughs> Because we live in the world and the world has constraints. <laughs> right. I mean, it, it doesn't mean we got to give up on our dreams. Yeah. But there's a reality. And then like, how do those two come together? And there's so much more space between those two than we allow ourselves to believe. Right. So mm. I think that's the key to understand there's something in between. Yeah. Cool. Thank you so much, Rosita. This has been a really fun conversation, as always, with you. If people want to learn more about your workshops, the work that you're doing, etc., where can they go? Well, I, at first I was going to say my webpage, www.rositachoy.com, and Choi is spelled with a Y, um, as in yellow. Um, but and then this will I all be in the show notes so they yeah. can find them there. And then I was like, but I'm not so good with that website because my <laughs> workshop is not even on my website, but my workshop is on Facebook somewhere. Somewhere. <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> so um, enduring idealism is something you could um, Google and find. It's on Facebook. And I have an, a brand new Facebook page just created hey. it five days ago. Um, so <laughs> that's where you can find me, Rosita Choi, Enduring Idealism. And, um, I'd love to hear from people. Um, I'm not inundated or super famous right now. So if you send me an email <laughs> or any kind of message, I'm 
very good at responding because I just love the idea of connecting with people. Not the idea, the the act, the act. of connecting <laughs> with people. Thanks. Yes. Dina. Thank you, Rosita. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Everyday Creative People. I hope you enjoyed today's show. Please don't forget to subscribe to future episodes and rate the podcast. Leave a comment and make sure you tell your friends to come listen. And remember, we'll be back with another episode next Monday. 